ICON is a global consultancy for the life sciences. We are committed to launching pharmaceutical products that make a difference in people's lives. Our vision is to use economics for the good of humanity. In this series of podcasts, we talk to patient advocates and thought leaders to better understand the patient perspective. Our hope is that a more comprehensive understanding of that patient perspective will help to optimise drug development, expenditures and care into the future. Today, we will introduce David Robbins, a patient advocate who will speak about fibrodysplasia ossificans progressiva, abbreviated FOP. In August 2021, we had our first episode on FOP. We introduced Chris and Helen Bedford-Gay, the founders and patient advocacy leaders at the charity FOP Friends. To our listeners who wish to hear the first FOP episode, we will provide a link in this episode description. Today, David will share his perspective and the latest developments. David Robbins, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for the um, for the time and uh, and yeah, really happy to speak on this subject. My name is David Robbins and I um, am the proud father of uh, two children, uh, Ronnie Robbins and Lexi Robbins. I'm a proud husband as well to my wife, Alexandra Robbins. Um, unfortunately, back in 2021, my daughter, uh, Lexi Robbins, was diagnosed with um, FOP. Um, so I, uh, I feel in a position today where I want to be able to discuss this a bit further, um, give the, the, the kind of view of myself and my family, uh, and hopefully um, add value to any of the kind of listeners out there who may be facing a similar journey. David, could you first please give us a brief recap of FOP? So FOP itself is a uh, an ultra rare uh, genetic disease. Um, what it does in effect is it will cause uh, my daughter or, or the, the person who has a condition, their um, muscles, ligaments, tendons to, um, to calcify into bone o- over time. Now, this can be caused by um, certain things that we are aware of at the moment, such as traumas. So um, if there's a fall or a knock or a bang, um, it can be caused by dental work, it can be caused by immunizations, and it can be caused by internal viruses as well. And they can all progress and bring on the condition. The condition manifests itself in the way of um, flare-ups. So lots of the um, the initial stages of the, the diagnosis are trying to understand what these flare-ups are for that patient. Um, uh, there could be misdiagnosis, which becomes a big problem. Um, but the the condition itself is a progressive one, and over time, my daughter's body will, in effect, uh, to turn to stone, um, and she will lose her mobility. Uh, we don't know how much mobility because every case is slightly different. But um, at a certain age, uh, there will be a time where she will have very very limited mobility, and she will need a lot of help and support and care from her her family and her peers. Um, the condition itself is, as I mentioned, ultra rare. So it affects circa one in 1.4 million people. So that means that there's about 900 people globally at the moment um, who have the FOB condition that we know about. But if we just work through the numbers, there should be somewhere in a region of 5,000 to 6,000 people. So we do have to try to understand why they haven't been diagnosed yet, this pool of people, and we have to try and get them in the right diagnosis path. And a lot of that will come down to the awareness. Now, um, we've explained what happens to Lexi over time. Um, What we do know is, although it's ultra rare, the FOP condition itself, um, the patient has a life expectancy of somewhere in a region of 40 to 50 years old. Um, And a lot of it is about 
providing the best quality of life. So what we're here to try to do today is kind of explain how we're trying to manage the condition um, to provide the best quality of life and to push and help look towards treatments and cures for which there are, are none at the moment. Okay, thank you, David. It's really interesting insights. Um, and could you tell us as well about Lexi's diagnostic journey and how that was particular for you? Absolutely. So the the key indicator for us was when Lexi was born, um, she was a beautiful, normal baby, but she had um, malformed big toes. So the big toes were the indicator for us where we looked and we thought something isn't quite right. The diagnosis journey after that was actually um, long and, and quite treacherous because the the rarity of the condition itself just meant that there was an assumption within even the medical professionals that this couldn't be it or it wasn't considered as it could be this ultra rare disease. We were told everything from bunions all the way through to Lexi has a condition that wasn't really explained to us but meant she would never walk again. Um, and of course, when you're on that journey, all you want is for your, your your baby girl to have the same opportunities and to be happy and healthy like like everybody else. So what we did, we we um, at that stage, we kind of looked and, and it, I would not recommend this to anybody. Um, it, it got us to our it got us through our journey quicker, but it was a, uh, it, it added a lot of pain to, to our journey. And we, we basically Googled in um, the conditions and, and from there we kind of found the FOB condition. And I think myself and my wife both knew at that stage, we could tell, we, we had a, 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 we knew something wasn't quite right. And we knew that this condition was a, a, a likely candidate. So we actually had to, at that stage, then find our way through to any specialist that we could within the UK to be able to help us to provide this diagnosis. And diagnosis for the FOP condition is hard because you don't want to have injections into people. Um, if people have flare ups, you don't want to remove it or, or uh, take a biopsy because you think it's cancer. So um, th there's all of these different things that misdiagnosis can provide all sorts of problems. And we spent time at Great Ormond Street Hospital where they sedated Lexi and put her into an MRI with the kind of um, expectation of maybe seeing some additional bone growth there already, for which there was none, which we were fortunate. So we celebrated um, kind of a, a small amount of joy, but what it then uh, came down to is the fact that we would have to get a genetic test for Lexi. And that genetic test was um, taken, sent to the, I bless, believe the West Coast of the US where they did the, um, the testing. And uh, I think a few weeks later, they confirmed that Lexi did have the FOB condition. And um, yeah, she was one of the youngest people ever to be diagnosed. So I think she was diagnosed at around five months old. Um, so yeah, there was, um, there's a lot that we, we had to go through just to get to the diagnosis point. Now, because of the ultra rare side, I'm not suggesting that everybody should think straight off the bat, could this be FOP, is this FOP? Because a huge amounts of time, fast amount of time, it's not. But I guess I, I want medical professionals and, and even kind of um, um, the, the nurses or the, uh, the midwives at, at the hospitals, if there is a clear malformation of the toe, just ask the question, is, is there a better way than maybe not putting a vitamin K injection straight into the, to the baby's leg? Um, because we know immunizations can cause a trauma in the muscle, which then can progress the condition. So let's try to get a diagnosis path with a little bit of awareness as opposed to kind of, um, as opposed to not. So I think that was probably lessons learned from our side. Yeah, I think that's a great insight to share um, and definitely helpful for other parents. Um, 
Could you also please give us your perspective on the impact that FOP has had on your family? Yes, I think this is this is the thing that no one ever tells you. I think this is the thing you learn for yourself. I would say that there's that well, if we that there's some things emotionally and there's some things kind of practically. Practically, my wife had to give up work to be um, to be carer for Lexi, so there's a financial impact. Um, I was in a, a quite a senior uh, role uh, in a in a company, an organisation at the time. Um, but again, because it was it felt the right thing to do for my family, whilst we embarked on trying to help Lexi as best we could, um, I kind of stood away or well, took took some time away from from that job and found something um, that I enjoy. But as an individual contributor, as opposed to managing different people, um, so there was a financial burden on this. But what nobody ever can explain um, is the the stress and pressure it has on your marriage. Um, so there was a relationship difficulties between myself and my wife because we both know how much we're hurting. We're both so sad all of the time and hurting so bad. And nobody can tell you just it's going to be OK. Nobody can tell you that um, you're going to get through this. And there's no blame. There's no resentment. There's no nothing like that at all, because the FOP gene itself is just a. it was explained to us as a, as a freak spelling error. And even if it was passed down through myself or my wife, then it doesn't matter. Um, no one has done it. So, so there's no resentment there, but you just your identity becomes no longer um, a, a married couple with two beautiful kids. You become a, a disabled parent and, and that's your identity and that's what you're living through. And it's the same with my son. And there was a good thing I was reading not so long ago with, with about um, a glass child. And, and Ronnie, my son, he does not have FOP. And to my knowledge, um, he, he has no, he, he's a, a perfectly um, happy uh, and, and active five-year-old boy. Um, he is brilliant with Lexi, by the way. He kind of, um, I think, subconsciously understands some of the stuff that is going on. He's fabulous. Um, but also, you have to make sure that he gets the right attention. He cannot be this glass child that is just there and you kind of just look through him and you have to make sure that you protect him as your son, you protect your wife as a wife because you don't lose your identity. You may feel like you do, but Ronnie is not just a, 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 a brother of a disabled um, daughter. He is a brother, he is a, a son. He will hopefully when he gets older and Lexi will as well, expand their families. So it's that identity piece and it has real stress and, and pressure coming to terms with that. And I think as well with the, the uh, the physical elements like the, the financial side and we was in our dream house when we got the diagnosis and we had an occupational therapist um, attend and um, she said that the house wasn't fit for purpose it was a, an old 15th century cottage with trip hazards and we couldn't access the stairs easily for, for her in later life and we accepted it. it it was one of them things so we've embarked on a journey of building a bespoke property for Lexi to try to um, help manage her condition in the absence of any treatments and cures, to try to prolong her mobility in a complete race against time to get to a treatment and a cure, or at least something in, a, in the toolbox of a, of a GP that may be able to help in the future, which isn't available at the moment. So there's all these different pressures. You lose your identity, you have to work hard on your relationships with your, your immediate family. And you have to as well let Lexi be a two-year-old girl. She's two, two and a half now. You have to let her be a child and experience childhood things without wrapping her in cotton wool and not giving her anything um, or not letting her be able to play with anything. So it's getting that balance right. And it's, 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 you're on eggshells all of the time. You, you're, you're, a, you're a constant 
risk assessment when it comes to your daughter. We went camping at the weekend and it was a lovely open field um, and she could run around and all of the other children were running around as well. But it's just you're looking all the time for little holes in the floor to make sure there's no trip hazards or she doesn't trip over. Just silly little things that you wouldn't think of as a normal parent. So um, that is probably how it's had the biggest effect on our family. There is an acceptance that we have we have got this um, and we're going to take this head on. But the, the kind of collateral damage and the scar tissue that's been caused throughout this process, uh, I think, is a thing that no one can ever explain to you. And you have to work really, really hard on those relationships probably before you even turn your attention to anything else. Hmm. Absolutely. I think that was uh, amazing insights. And uh, thank you so much for your, your candidness and honesty. I think that's really um, amazing to hear your journey. Um, and for you, what is the current unmet need uh, in front of FOP? Um, and are there any developments uh, in the pipeline, any recent um, new treatments that could be available to you? Yes, there are. There is hope. Um, there is hope and, and for this we're grateful. We we understand at the moment is that there there will likely be in the future a cocktail of, of drugs or medication or treatments for, for the FOP patients. And I don't know if it's going to be subject to age, gender, weight, or, or whatever that combination may be, but there will be something in the toolbox, we hope, um, for GPs in the future to be able to help treat. So what we do know is that the IFOPA. The, um, the kind of global organization who consolidate all of the hard work from people all over the world are doing an amazing job. And they've engaged with a number of pharmaceutical companies. And these pharmaceutical companies have um, various different trials at the moment in different stages. One has gotten through to kind of phase three, and some of them are going through phase two at the moment. They all have their kind of slight changes to the, the treatment that they're, they're providing to the patient, potentially. But I think quite a few of them at the moment are looking at inhibiting the problematic gene. Um, so there are some some strides being taken there. Now, we don't know the success yet. The science hasn't caught up and the data hasn't caught up to be able to give us the output of those trials yet. But the fact that we've got, I think, five or six trials for treatments in such a small community, I think, is testament to the work that so many people have done for the FOP community. And we're ever so grateful. The other thing as well is. And I know there's um, a risk element to this, which I, I feel like I understand. But my wife and, and uh, Lexi went to the University of Massachusetts um, the week before last, and they met with the team there um, face to face, um, Dr. Gao and his team. And they've done some fabulous work with regards to some genetic treatments, <clears throat> excuse me, and some genetic therapies going going forward. Now, it's early stages. I think we can say that there's been some um, early stage models which have been successful. And there have been some proof of concepts as well, which have been published in medical journals. But there's huge hope for this as well. And I, I, myself, not coming from a medical or science world, I may get some of this terminology wrong. But as I understand it, I think some of the technology they're using will be to immunise the muscles um, of the FOP patients for somewhere in a region of sort of 15 to 20 years to be able to immunize them against these kind of flare ups and these uh, ossifications of, of the bones that should not be taking place. Um, there may be a cocktail of other treatments that go alongside that because I know itself there are flare ups for the individuals and those flare ups are painful. So it's not just their, their kind of lumps and bumps that, that show and then they kind of could go or they or they form additional bone. They're extremely painful for the patient as well. So I think there is going to be 
we hope success in the future, but we don't know when, we don't know what it looks like. We don't know if it's going to be available for, for children, because I think there would probably be a very um, careful consideration to if you're looking to stop problematic bone growth, you would likely have to make sure that you have to be very careful with regards to the, the bone growth that is required by children. So there's all of these different things that need to be taken into consideration by people much smarter than I. And I know, know they're looking at efficacy and, and safety and everything else, and rightly so. But I think FOP is one of those conditions where a few years down the line, it's one of them things where you can look at and say, OK, it's risk versus reward. We could see quite conceivably a patient who has little to no mobility by the age of 20 and lives to the age of 50, for example. There's 30 years of no quality of life whatsoever. So I think every parent and everybody on this journey, although it is a long and arduous journey ahead, there are some probably some very difficult decisions to be made. But I think at that stage, we would have been very lucky and fortunate to have some treatment plans available that are not here today. And could you also give us some kind of insights about what preventative measures that can be taken um, and what activities could help uh, your child as well? Yes, it's a, it's a really good a really good question, actually, because in this process of, of no treatments and no cures or, or medicines, there is it's all about management. So what we do know is there are some things that we can do to um, to limit the possibility of the FOP uh, being triggered. And it's been explained to me like a sleeping bear. So it can be idle for a long time. But once that bear wakes, it becomes a problem and, and the progression can take place quite rapidly and be very, very debilitating in a short space of time. So we're trying not to awaken this bear within Lexi. So we have to be very careful with her dental care. So that means that we would um, we have to have the kind of special toothpaste. We have to make sure that she's very, very um, well looked after with regards to her teeth um, in the morning, in the evenings. Um, immunizations. So it's a, a little bit counterintuitive because if she doesn't have her immunizations, she could be subject to these internal viruses. And these internal viruses could therefore cause progression of the condition. So we need to have immunizations, but you can't have immunizations because they can trigger flare up in the uh, in the, the muscle that has been um, affected by the uh, the injection. So I think it's um, again, I apologize for my terminology, but I think it's called subtaneous, I think, injections. And they don't or they don't trauma the muscle in the same way that a typical immunization would. So I think they are painful for the patient. But what we've been able to do is find a, a specialist. Um, at our GP surgery who can apply these um, immunizations and that has been something which has really helped Lexi in terms of having a keeping up to date with her, her um, immunizations but without having these problems in, in kind of flare-ups in her legs. The other thing as well is the FOP condition um, can uh, form bone within the rib cage and that will then squeeze onto the and put pressure onto the lungs so FOP um, community can and do suffer from um, breathing kind of difficulties and, and are subject to uh, kind of chest and, and, and lung problems at, at a, a later date. So what we've had explained to us is that Lexi can do singing and, uh, and I can definitely vouch that she's got a fabulous pair of lungs at the moment. So she can do singing and she can do and she loves her singing. So that can be encouraged. And what we're doing with our bespoke house build is we're also um, introducing a hydrotherapy pool here as well because the hydrotherapy pool is something that is known at the moment within the FOP community that can take a little bit of weight and pressure off of her body 
give her that kind of lung capacity exercise through swimming, but it can be done in a safe and a controlled environment. And I think that the, the nearest one to us was at Stanmore Hospital. Um, and we were on a waiting list to get onto there for some time. And it, it kind of just wasn't feasible to, to be able to get onto this waiting list. And also, even if it was, we couldn't travel down um, for an hour every morning and an hour back. So we decided as part of this bespoke house build, we would put a hydrotherapy pool in there to allow Lexi to have maybe 15, 20 minutes a day, just of the activity in a safe environment where she can expand her, her lungs and, and her lung capacity, but also keep her mobility going in a safe environment as well. Um, so these are just things that we're learning as, as we go along, because I'd say there's not a huge amount of information and um, data out there. But what we do learn from the community and other peer groups at the moment is that this has helped other patients with FOP to kind of uh, maintain some mobility at this stage. Yeah, that, that sounds like a, a great treatment and yeah, really helpful for Lexi as well, I can imagine. Um, the next part of the discussion, we'll be talking about raising awareness and funding. So for you, what is the importance of patient advocacy groups within FOP? So, so they are vitally important. And, and I think what we're learning as we go on this journey is that to be able to talk and communicate with other people who have, have been there, seen it, feel your pain um, and feel what you're going through. To be able to share that insight um, and to be able to help each other just by talking is a huge thing. And what we've learned on this whole journey, there are so many good people out there, kind people across all various different walks of life from um, the rare disease community through to kind of um, the, the, the medical professionals that we're talking to, through to schooling, through to the house build, through to even going to an airport where they take time to um, listen and understand to your condition. So talking to these people or talking to, to people all of the time has been such a benefit when, once you explain what you're going through. And I think having these groups is hugely helpful. Um, we wouldn't have known about the benefits of hydrotherapy. We wouldn't necessarily have known um, with regards to the kind of the, the singing element and, and how people have improved their lung capacity. Um, so having this is key. The only thing I would say in, in the rare disease community is although the people are fabulous and everybody's doing their best, most of the people that we've come across are just like me and my wife, where we're, we're trying so hard to, to be parents and to be husband and wife and to pay bills and raise a family in the best way that you can with this addition of FOP. So what it means is you're doing your best uh, and you, you're trying to get through it and you're trying to live and learn and be happy and everything else that comes with that. And all of these other groups are doing the same. There are some charities that are set up and there are some people who are dedicate or can dedicate more time to these advocacy groups and these talking sessions and raising awareness. But when you're not doing it full time, you, you find yourself coming home from a day um, at the office and you come home and you, you have your dinner with the kids and you play with them for a little bit and you get them ready for their, their bedtime. And then it's before you know it, it's eight o'clock and you have to do two or three hours in the evening of, um, of kind of FOP related work. And you don't mind it. You're happy to do it, but it takes its toll. Um, so I think as much as the people are amazing um, and the people that we've come across in the, the kind of rare disease world, I think the structure of, of how the kind of uh, the rare disease side of things is um, is set up is is not flawed. But I think there are improvements to be made. I think it is a lonely as much as, as you try to make it not. It's very, very lonely. It's very scary. Um, the rare disease community, not just with FOP, but the rare, rare disease community, um, as you guys will know, is huge. I mean, it's what the, a, a 
greater if combined globally um, than the, the uh, population of uh, the USA, I believe, over 350 million people. And, and each of them has their own kind of journey. Each of them will be lonely. Each of them will be scared and upset and disappointed. 350 million people. And you just think that they're all good people and they're all talking to other people who are really good and kind and mean well, but the structures aren't there. Um, and it just feels like the, the time to get to what you need to get to. And I guess the way to explain this is the best example I can give is the amount of times that my wife and I have had to articulate, write down and explain how our daughter is disabled over and over again. And it doesn't matter if it's related to schooling or the car you're trying to buy or the house you're trying to build or the, the relationship you're trying to make somewhere. Um, you go over it again and again. And we hear so many times, well, your daughter doesn't look disabled. And we're so grateful of that because today she doesn't. But today, she, sorry, but tomorrow she could because things could progress that quickly. But you have to go through this. So these advocacy groups are fabulous. And the awareness side of things is so critical because of that diagnostic path that I mentioned previously. And also the more people that are aware, the more people can take an interest, the more people can push towards a treatment path and a cure. But there is a, a, a gap at the moment, which I feel isn't filled um, with regards to the kind of overarching rare community. And it isn't for the for the lack of people. But the the, the amount of times we've had to explain um, and write down the condition uh, um, and try to justify to people that our daughter is is poorly or, or disabled. Um, you know, the last people that want to see my, my daughter's face on a disabled badge and, and myself and my wife. Um, and having to explain that and regurgitate it all of the time, it, you kind of you almost feel like a bit of a fraud. Um, we, we wish it wasn't the case, but it is. So we, we have to just try and do whatever we can. And the, the, definitely the, the patient groups and, and these they're very, very good. And um, but I feel that they need more support as well. Um, and do you have any other final thoughts or insights that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I, I think. I think with the red, certainly with with the FOP side, we're, we're trying to raise more money and we're trying to raise more awareness. So we're trying to get those non-diagnosed FOP patients diagnosed quickly before one of them goes onto a bouncy castle when they're 10 years old and comes off and they're never the same again because it wasn't identified and therefore wasn't managed or um, they have it. So all of these things we're trying to raise awareness about. But I, I think my final thoughts are just really going on to, to what I just mentioned. And, and I'm guilty about myself. Having not come from a medical and science background previously, there is a whole rare disease world out there that actually, unless you're kind of in it, you don't know too much about it. And I was very guilty of that. I, I kind of um, didn't know the burden of rare disease or the kind of uh, implication or the cost or the, the way it works um, before Lexi's diagnosis. Um, I think there's a lot of reliant on families. And I think that is a is a, a slight problem. I think there's a lot of reliance upon patient groups. Um, and I think that, that something just needs to be done, come together. And, and I'm doing some work with um, UK government at the moment and I'm pushing some of these patient groups that have been set up. We want to try to to kind of dedicate some funding and ring fence some funding for for these rare conditions and try to get some of this um, acknowledged and accepted and Every time we're doing that, we're getting pushed back about it has to be a business case. How is this justifiable for the NHS and that side of things? And I get it. So I'm having to work business cases and burdens of cares and everything. But the my overarching thing is when you're given a diagnosis like this, it's hard, it's tough, but you need to choose 
you're tough. It's going to be hard regardless if you want to kind of front it and do your best or if you want to put your head in your sand and not. And I completely understand that latter because that was me. I was head in the sand. I didn't want to confront it. I didn't want to face it. I can't watch videos related to the FOP community. I can't read too much about the FOP community because it breaks my heart. Um, my wife was the one who kind of picked me up and, and told me, look, we've got to do this as a team. We have to do what's right. And we decided that we're going to do so many small activities that will um, culminate and, and um, it will just be compounded for a better life for Lexi and Ronnie in the future. We don't know how better, but if we can do activities every single day now and Lexi's life is better by 7, 10% in the future, then it was all worthwhile. So all I would say is if you're on this journey, it hurts like hell and I get it and it's really tough and you just feel like there isn't anything you can do to make a difference, but you can, you can make a difference. You can all take little activities and, and the greater we will take these activities, raise that awareness, raise that funding, the quicker we'll be to a solution for a better life for our loved ones and, and our kind of FOP community. So that's what I would say. Don't be like me. Don't bury your head in the sand initially. What you have to do is, is kind of puff your chest out a little bit and say, OK, this is going to hurt like hell, whichever way we go. So let's take it head on because it's going to hurt anyway. So let's see if we can make a real impact. And then when we can look back in a few years time, let's see how we've managed to try and make a life better for Lexi, for Ronnie, but also for the wider FOP community. So I think that's my final thoughts. And um, yeah, I think uh, just a, a big thank you for, for letting me talk today. Yeah, it was a pleasure. And I think, you know, thank you so much for your wise words and for your insights. Um, I think it was really useful and incredible to hear your journey and to hear Lexi's journey. Um, so thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we had a great conversation on FOP and I really look forward to seeing what the future holds in this area. From everyone at FICON, we'd like to thank you for your time and listeners, thank you for listening.